Welcome to SAP Experts Podcast and a very happy new year 2023 to everyone. I'm your host, Akshi Mola, and I'm so excited to be back from my maternity leave. As a new mom, I cannot overstate the importance of mixing instinct, innovative new practices, and the tried and tested expert wisdom. Similarly, within software as a service, the technology is ever-evolving and so are the needs of our customers. And this is where the discerning wisdom of analysts comes in. Having deep understanding of both tech and customer industries, analysts combine the two to guide both our customers and the direction of our solutions. Which is why we are kicking 2023 off by discussing the strategic importance of analyst relations with none other than the dynamic and inspiring Claire Henry. Claire is the Global Vice President of Analyst Relations at SAP. The core mission of this team is to engage with and assimilate industry analyst perspectives into SAP's business strategy and ensure analysts around the globe have accurate and timely education on SAP. Prior to this role, Claire was the head of analyst relations at Microsoft and spent her prior years in product marketing, where her team was responsible for driving the technical cloud scenarios. Claire loves spending time with her family. She is also deeply committed to the St. Paul community in Haiti and affordable housing causes in Seattle. You're listening to SAP Experts Podcast. Welcome, Claire, to the SAP Experts Podcast. I am so excited to deep dive into the analyst landscape with you today. Well, thank you, actually. I'm so excited to be invited onto your podcast. This was a fantastic idea, and I'm just so thrilled. Thank you. So, Claire, we have a plethora of themes that we want to go over today. But before we jump into all the nitty-gritty details, tell me about how you got into analyst relations. Perhaps we could start with the first time you spoke to a team of analysts, maybe? Yeah. Interestingly enough, the first time I spoke to an analyst, I was not part of the analyst relations team. Mm. I was a product manager, product planner for a product I was creating and introducing when I was with Microsoft. And I was really nervous, actually. I was so nervous because here I was representing a product that we hadn't brought to market. It was a crowded landscape. And they said, we want you to talk to Glenn O'Donnell at Forrester. Well, Glenn O'Donnell was very um, an expert at what was considered the configuration management database, super geeky. And I had to tell him what Microsoft, I worked at Microsoft at the time, was doing that was different in the marketplace. I was so nervous. I was probably shaking. So I got on my Skype call. I had to do a demo. And, you know, a couple of funny things happened along the way. First of all, Glenn was a really genuinely kind, nice mm-hmm. person. And he and I ended up, I found this connection with him. And we started talking about the true geekiness of configuration management databases. And we got into this great philosophical discussion that lasted a few minutes. And I realized he actually had some really good ideas. So I started asking him a few questions and my nerves just went away because it was really fun. Here I had an expert on the phone with me that I could learn from. 
So it was less about me and more about the person I was talking to. And it was just fascinating. And so it was just a great first call. Um, The product turned out to be okay. We did have something unique, but it was more just connecting as two people. And we could, I could really learn from him. And along the way, perhaps he learned a couple things from me. You took me right back to my early pre-sales days when I was going through my first demos and the importance of really leaning into the learning. So with that said, what are some of the lessons you learned from that first meeting and your perhaps the next few experiences that you had early on in the field? With those learnings, what does it take to develop great analyst relations? Yeah. Okay. That's a loaded question. So you may have to ask it to me in a couple of parts, but, uh, you know, first of all, I always, the first thing I learned, and maybe it took me a few more years and a few more different kinds of experiences is being nervous is kind of a gift. Being nervous means that you really care. You care about sharing something. You care about being prepared. Um, and the way to kind of get over nerves is to focus on who's with you and what they bring to the experience, where their knowledge is. And really, instead of saying, oh my gosh, am I going to show up well? Like, wait a minute, I'm with Akshay today. What yeah. can I learn from Akshay? Um, you know, and then maybe we have a connection and maybe we're sharing information back and forth. And I always find, you know, when I'm in a tense situation or something's not going well, like if I just pause, take a breath and think about this person and what I can learn from them or what their perceptions might be that would help me, um, it just takes my nerves away. Wow. So definitely one of the key ways of developing great analyst relations is to first and foremost be open to learning. Yeah. What else does it take to develop great uh, analyst relations? Well, I think if you kind of go back to what is an analyst and what is, you know, what is their job about? Maybe if I can kind of take the pivot from there. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's, you know, analysts are, when we think of the analyst relations and the analysts that we focus on in my team, these are what we think of as industry analysts. So different than financial analysts who look at maybe the um, the growth of a company, their financials, you know, are they growing at the right pace? Industry analysts really evaluate the product strategy of a company and help companies and customers understand those strategies and then apply it to different scenarios. So when you think about an industry analyst you know, they're looking at the tech, where the tech is going, where it is today and where it's going long-term. And then what are the set of customer requirements? And when they bring those together and merge them, they have a really unique point of view because they study the market, they study the customer requirements. From an SAP perspective, you know, I think the it goes to what, why do we need analysts? What do they, what value do they serve? And if I start there and I think about the typical analyst. The typical analyst spends half of their day talking to customers. And these aren't just like 30 second calls. These may be a half hour call or talking to potentially our competitors or studying a market. And then the other half of their day is probably writing research or doing a podcast or something similar to what we're doing. Right. And so if you think about that, what the insights that they can bring to us on what they're learning and we get that really helps us then think about applying it in our strategy. Likewise, we want them to be accurately educated about what we're doing. So when they have a customer conversation, they're bringing the the true depth of knowledge of what SAP is doing to those conversations. So I always think this, you know, 
incorporating insights or assimilating insights is a bi-directional conversation. And it really is mutually beneficial for both parties. From an SAP perspective, when we really listen, sometimes Mm -hmm. what they tell us isn't always that great. You know, they're giving us some of the hard truths or maybe something that the customer's perceiving. If we really listen, we can take action. And we can say, okay, great. You know what? The customer, we have a confusing message or our strategy feels confusing. Well, we can fix that. Or the competition is getting ahead on this topic. Mm. Well, gosh, if we know that and we hear it and they're hearing it from customers, we can take action. Or you're probably seeing this two to three years out. We can take action. Um, Likewise, if we've got an idea that we want to do something six months, two years, three years, We can say, hey, this is what we're thinking. Give us some feedback. And maybe they haven't thought of it that way. And maybe we're actually thinking, helping them think about an approach that's different or unique. Um, So it is this mutually beneficial engagement and relationship. And you ask what it takes. It takes knowledge and trust and truly the desire to have that level of depth conversation where you can challenge with confidence and grace. You can have these really incredible conversations and you can kind of say, well, tell me more. Mm -hmm. And if it's working really well, what would it look like? Or what is the true depth of concern here? Is that for our customers globally or is it customers just locally? Oh, and is the competition ahead of us here? Or do you think we have something that may be differentiated in the competition? So if you start to stack those questions together and you have this expert giving you insight, it's, it's an incredibly valuable relationship. You do have to have that level of trust and you do right. have to have that level of connection mm. where you know people as two humans and two individuals, um, which really then brings the value. Absolutely. Now, you know, you really uh, hit on the fact that, you know, sometimes we might hear feedback that we might not be ready for hearing. And I really wanted to hone in more on that side because, you know, the product team, they're passionate, and the go-to-market team, they're passionate. And sometimes it can be just a hard pill to swallow when what you hear, the feedback from analysts, it's not completely gung-ho. It's easy to get defensive. So how do we maybe perhaps, all the hard work that all these smart people have put in, what advice would you have to put that defensiveness aside and perhaps lean in into the feedback? So a couple things. One, you know, first of all, we, we really need to listen to the feedback. But when I say listen, it's not just hearing, it's actually really understanding the Mm. feedback. And when you, and sometimes you can, uh, and you should, when you have the conversation with the analyst, go deep on the feedback, you know, help understand like, well, what's the impact of this? How broad is it? What does it mean? What is the risk that you see? And when you really get to that depth it is hard then to ignore it, right? It is hard to ignore it. And I would say that 90% of the time, maybe even as high as 95% of the time, when we get a piece of feedback from an analyst and it's not great, right? Oh, yeah. that, that doesn't feel great. Yeah. Most likely we've heard it from other sources as well. Mm-hmm. The, perhaps the field is already telling us. So it's a validation. It's another a piece of input or you know that we have so it's not always surprising and so when you when you layer back you get to the depth you understand where it's coming from it's usually pretty easy to accept and then action 
But you really need to get to that essence of what the feedback is to get rid of kind of the emotional uh, response and reaction to it. Absolutely, absolutely. And you also spoke about the symbiotic relationship that SAP shares with analysts. But of course, it's a three-legged stool. We have to bring in the customers in. And moving to cloud is a huge investment for our customers, you know, be it in terms of time, resources, finances, everything quite asset intensive. And our customers, they are seeking for an unbiased expert opinion. And that's where analysts come in. So what would you say makes a great analyst and how can they help our customers navigate the unknowns of digital transformation? Yeah. So, you know, it's it's a great question. And most customers have had some level of cloud adoption at this point in time. And really, though, however, there's many, many different elements of what's going on in that decision making process. Early cloud adoption was kind of, you know, the wild, wild west. But, you know, I'm a developer, right? right? I'm a developer. And all of a sudden I go to my IT department and said, hey, I need a new development environment. I need a massive database. And the IT department says, okay, do you have thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to budget for that? And okay, you do? Great. Now we'll put a PO in and we'll build that out and you'll get it in six months. Mm -hmm. Versus they go to AWS or they go to Microsoft Azure and they just swipe their credit card and they have that database instance in minutes, Mm -hmm. literally minutes, right? And they're like, why do I need IT anymore? Um, yet, you know, all of a sudden IT is looking at this as like, is our data secure? What kind of charges are we going to get from this, right? So there's this good tension between how do you put enterprise grade quality around cloud versus what happened in the early days of just kind of the wild, wild west. And, um, and so that's a really where the analysts played a large role. So they took that initial stage of what I call chaos and they say, okay, what's the tech that is really compelling? And that tech of being able to go to a portal and, you know, getting a a database instance in minutes is compelling. Mm -hmm. And so you can't deny that, right? And, but then they also took the customer requirements, things like governance and security and data sovereignty and all of that and said, okay, hey, cut vendor, whether you're Amazon, Google, or Microsoft, or SAP, or Oracle in those days, like, you also have to harden it, and you have to make it compelling so you so it works for all customers in all scenarios. And so this beauty of the analyst seeing the opportunity of what that looked like, and then taking the vendor communities and saying, okay, great, you've got something really incredibly powerful here. Yes, mm-hmm. all these factors are going to come together. The quality of data, I mean, the quality of a cloud service, you need to harden it. You need to make it enterprise grade. And so the analyst could, you know, help understand that and understand the trajectory. It's been a long trajectory, been over 10 years now, right? right? And then, so I think that's been really interesting to follow. But their unique perspectives help both the customer and the vendor. Um, and, and that's just a really great example of how they help the industry grow fast and help the customer base as well. Absolutely. And with that, I really am interested in perhaps you could explain it to me like I am five years old. (laughs) And analysts, how do do they communicate? How do they talk to each other? I mean, is there a traditional payment model? Maybe there's a freemium model or I mean, how do they access all of this great information out there? Yeah. So, you know, so there's there's probably primarily two models. It's super simple. So many analyst firms have what they call an end user business where they sell you know, customers a subscription to their services. And the subscription could be their research, 
mm-hmm. or there's subs- and that comes with analyst inquiry. So I buy your research and then I have the opportunity to read the research and then call an analyst, talk to the analyst for a half hour, maybe longer, and have that analyst take that piece of research and apply it to my scenario. Those are phenomenal dialogues. Those are right. depth and they're really interesting. The second part is some analysts just publish their pr- opinions and perspectives. And so they might do it. And there's some really intriguing ways they're doing that right now, like podcasts. They contribute to magazines like Forbes. They have, they get on and um, they get on third party shows and give their opinion. Um, they go to conferences and speak. So there's two. So that is kind of more the freemium model. And then the first model is a subscription, but it's very personal and it's very attached to, you know, my business and what I'm trying to do. So that both models are very relevant and they're both good for customers. Absolutely. And I just wanted to go back to, you know, when we said the bi-directional relationship, the symbiotic relationship we have with our analysts, and sometimes you might get feedback and how we lean into the learning. But what if we could even start earlier than that? Since analysts are always customer focused, perhaps they can provide very, very early feedback before we even are married to a certain direction, both in terms of maybe product strategy and go-to-market strategy. Any thoughts around that? Yeah. And when I talked about this, you know, um, mutually beneficial insights, you know, we call, we call that, you know, the, the get in, you know, incorporating its strategic insights. Mm. We will have conversations with analysts under NDA that, you know, we're talking about a strategy that we may not bring to market for years, or we may never bring it to market, right? So we do have wow. this opportunity to bring them in on some very important strategic decisions that companies like SAP is making. So, you know, perhaps, you know, as we know right now, um, when you think about SAP, it's about the sustainable and intelligent enterprise. Yes. And so what are we doing around sustainability? What do we think around sustainability that we want their early insights and we want to share um, interesting or our strategy up front? Think about in Europe, we had a really incredible conversation with a sustainability analyst back in June. And in Europe, there are a lot of regulations coming to market. And so this analyst helped helped walk us through that, right? Here's what's coming to market. Here's how SAP could get ahead and really help customers. You have, with your portfolio of applications, you have so much data and information that customers don't know how to access and utilize to potentially give these uh sustainability reports that they need. And so they really helped us think about what's going on in policy, what we already have and what we could do to truly help customers. So that was a fascinating conversation. Um, And it really, you know, and we're, you know, that's going to, we are working on that at SAP. Everybody knows we're working on that, but it's also a journey, right? We're going to be able to do this this month. And then we have to do, it's going to, but it's a long-term journey that we're fully committed to. Um, Similarly, we had another conversation with another analyst on sustainability and they're like, hey, you know, there's a lot of virtue signaling going on with sustainability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you you have the opportunity to really help customers identify what they have and help them understand even their own opportunities with sustainability. So you're doing great work as an exemplary. I think I said that right you can also be one of the most powerful enablers to helping customers solve sustainability. And they called us out as probably one of the seven uh, companies who can truly help others. Um, So it's just super fascinating to understand that. And that is that early insight, that early engagement. 
you know, Claire, when you were describing all that, I couldn't help but think about uh, the musical Hamilton and the lines, I want to be in the room where it happens, the room where it happens, because that's exactly where all the strategy is happening. So that's super fascinating. And, you know, you spoke about the different analysts and how they gave different opinions. And when we speak about the landscape, we often hear about the big three. So first of all, who are the big three? And how do they differ from the independent analysts? And what is the importance of having all of these different points of view? Yeah, it's a great, you know, it's a great question. Just like there are many, many, um, you know, tech vendors or many, many automakers, they all serve a different purpose. And um, so the big three, to answer your very specific question, is IDC, Forrester, and Gartner. And then there are a number of really interesting firms like EAC, More Insights, Lopez, The Heart of Tech, Constellation, 451, Frost and Sullivan, Futurum. The list goes on, and I probably left out one of my very best uh, analyst firms. Apologies for that. Um, you know, there's probably well over 1,400 individual analysts that follow SAP. And, you know, the independence and the niche, I think I talked a little bit about the traditional model where I buy a subscription. Some of these other ones are, you know, they are, they're just one person. Many times they're a small firm. Perhaps their niche, they only focus on the automotive industry. Perhaps they're regional. Perhaps they have a more of a presence in one region over the other, you know, so the difference is when you think about the large, you know, subscription-based firms, and it's not just the big three, there are other ones like 451 and Frost and Sullivan that have that same model. When they have that model, you actually have a committed connection between the customer and the firm where you're buying this, you're buying their research and you're buying this relationship that says, help me apply your research. That's, a, that's very helpful and customers tend to always use that because it's really helpful for them. The niche firms or the independent firms, whether no matter what your size, um, they're really also pushing the envelope on how to communicate. They're pushing the envelope. They're trying new approaches to connect with customers, such as the podcast we are on. More and more, they're not writing you know, the traditional white paper type of research that you're going to download and read on a plane someday. Instead, they're doing a 10-minute podcast, and they're just taking one piece of tech and applying it to a current scenario. So it's great. It's great to see. Um, and perhaps as a customer, I don't get to apply that to my scenario, but I'm guessing, and this is what they're doing very well at, is they're giving the customer another way to think about something. Right. They're also, because of their expertise, they're helping the customer identify potentially a technology or a vendor that they otherwise hadn't thought of. And so yes. they really do serve that purpose to really help customers get information in a fast and agile way. Um, super helpful. So they're both really important and they're both really, really um, necessary. Yeah, I think you mentioned the magic word agility, you know, a way for them to think differently and perhaps leapfrog with all the new technologies. But one of the words that uh, I know I heard throughout my MBA career was uh, Gartner. And we studied a lot about Gartner, uh, the various studies that they do and something known as a magic quadrant. So what is it and why do we care so much about the magic quadrant? And what does it mean to be in one? Yeah, it's a great, uh, it's a great question. So Gartner um, has been around for many, many years. They've acquired a lot of other firms along the way. A a as such, they are the largest of 
the subscription-based firms, and they have both a vendor uh, business as well as an end-user business. So SAP, Oracle, Microsoft, IBM, we all have kind of relationships with Gartner. They also have relationships with, you know, most of our enterprise customers. So it's a great, you know, understanding because they listen to our enterprise customers, and then they also understand what we're doing, and they can really make that mesh, right? Um so the magic quadrant is very interesting. Uh, there's a magic quadrant. Forrester has their wave and IDC has their marketscape. So something similar. And other firms have very similar as well. But think basically, if you think about a magic, magic quadrant, it is they take and they look at a very specific solution or product, such as cloud ERP. And they actually break it down even further. In the case of Gartner, they have cloud ERP for service-centric companies, cloud ERP for product-centric companies. So what the analysts, team of analysts, and they say, you know, we see this market growing. We see that, that the vendors are really moving the ERP strategy to the cloud. It is probably our customers have a need to understand the quality of what each customers, of each vendor is doing. And so they then create what's called this magic quadrant. And they research the product, they research the solution, they talk to a lot of customers and they create a set of criteria. And then they evaluate the vendors against that criteria. And the criteria is hard. So to get into a magic quadrant is meaningful. You have to have so many customers, you have to have a strong vision, you have to be uh, viable, it's hard. So it's not just like, oh, I'm gonna go send my note into Gartner and get into it. No, there's a criteria you have to meet. Um, and then basically what they do is then they take that evaluation and you have to fill out this like request for information and it's lots and lots of questions and you have to show customer evidence and you have to show marketing evidence, you have to show roadmap. So it's a lot of work. Um, and then what they do is they research it, they put all of those matrices together and they give you a score. And the score, based on your score, you end up with what we call the dot placement in their magic quadrant. And think of it for a minute, what a magic quadrant is. It is a quadrant and there's four corners to a quadrant. Mm -hmm. And each quadrant tells the, the, um, tells the, unit, the customer rate base how well this product is doing. So there's the niche quadrant, which is if you end up in the niche quadrant, that should feel good, right? You're saying, hey, I serve a niche. So you might have the ERP that is dedicated to, you know, um, manufacturing companies less than 500 people. If you, that's your market, you, you're serving a niche part of that market. Challenger says, hey, I'm doing something different. And that's the upper left quadrant. So the bottom left is niche. The upper left is challenger. The bottom right is visionary. And if you have a strong vision, that's a great place to be. It says, hey, you're leading the market. You're doing something unique. Mm -hmm. And so if you have a strong vision score, that's awesome. The ultimate place, though, is the leader's quadrant. In the leader's quadrant, that's the right. The leader's quadrant says you have the strongest vision and you have the ability to help customers adopt and be successful. So it's the ability to execute and have an incredibly strong visionary strategy. And when you get those two things right, you end up in the leader's quadrant. And they publish about once a year. Um, SAP's in over 25 magic quadrants, you know, everything from BI and analytics to commerce to many supply chain magic quadrants. So it is important for SAP um, to both learn from the magic quadrants, learn why, you know, why we're either ahead of the competition or behind the competition and, you know, really apply our best foot on this one. 
Absolutely. It's very important to understand how we benchmark against our peers and where we stand. And it's good to have this pictorial view to have yeah. that. And Claire, it's like, it feels like we have discussed so much today, but it still feels like we're just scratching the surface. But we have unequivocally established the importance of analyst relations. So we definitely should keep this discussion going and perhaps we should bring them into the discussion. So what do you think about maybe another episode featuring an analyst in the near future? I would love that. You know, let's do that. And let's think about, you know, we talked a lot about the different types of analysts. Let's bring different types in. So maybe we could have a couple more episodes. Yes, I would love that. And with that, I mean, I'm sure our audience has a ton of questions. I know I learned a lot. So if they also want to learn more and they want to reach out to you, where can they reach out? Well, first of all, internally, I'm Claire.Henry, C-L-A-R-E dot Henry. Um, I'm at M. Claire Henry on Twitter, and then I'm on LinkedIn as well. And I will be dropping all of that in the show notes below. With that, thank you so much, Claire, for this energetic, exciting, engaging episode. I learned so much and I cannot wait to bring in more analysts and learn even more about the analyst landscape. Thank you, Akshay. I had a great time. Thanks for inviting me.